Please be aware, this episode may contain information not suitable for children. There may be depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Lenny. And I'm Matt. We're continuing on with our heartbreaking story of Polly Class. Last week we gave you what happened, how she was abducted, the close calls with police, and found out who committed the crime. Today we're going to dig a little bit deeper and find out exactly what happened to Polly. And we also get a clear view of Richard Allen Davis and who he is. Not that anyone wants to know who he is. I know enough already. I've learned the man is not a man, but at any true definition. He was a true psychopath. So let's dive back into this heartbreak. Okay, so remember, police have figured out who Richard Allen Davis is and that he's wanted and they've located where he's at from his parole officer. So on November 30th, 1993, Petaluma police officers and FBI agents arrive at Richard's sister's house in Ukiah and they arrest him without incident on the parole violation warrant. They also seized his car and personal belongings and noted that he had shaved off his beard. He was transported to the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office where the Petaluma police officer Pelton and FBI agent Larry Taylor confronted him about Polyclass's kidnapping, and Richard denied any involvement. But two days later, on December 2nd, 1993, criminalists matched Richard's palm print that was found in Polly's bedroom. So he couldn't deny it anymore. Yeah. On December 4th, and yeah, it was like, just backing up on that, it was an entire palm print. It wasn't like one finger. Mm-hmm. His whole damn hand. Yeah. Like, you're brilliant, dude. Anyway, on December 4th, Sergeant Meese spoke to Richard while he was in jail and encouraged him to contact him if Polly could be found alive, urging him to come clean. Richard told Meese over the phone that he, quote, fucked up big time, end quote, and he admitted that Polly was dead and he offered to help find her body. And this made Meese go to meet with Richard in the Mendocino County Jail, accompanied by District Attorney Investigator Mike Griffith and FBI Agent Larry Taylor, where they questioned him for two hours. During that interview, Richard claimed he went to Petaluma on October 1st, 1993, to contact his mother. He couldn't find her, so he went to a park where he drank beer and smoked marijuana that may have been laced with PCP. He said he didn't have a clear recollection of what he did next. He said he recalled entering a home through a window and hearing some voices in a room, but that he had never seen Polly before that. He also remembered, well, just pausing there for a second, it's later uh, during the trial, they, they said that he was basically stalking Polly, actually, in the town for a few weeks. Really? Yeah, like witnesses saw him 
in the area saw him watching her, things like that. But he swears he had never seen her before. He also uh, remembered tying up the three girls with items from the bedroom. Then he said he remembered driving and suddenly realized, like he had an epiphany, Polly's in the passenger seat. When she started complaining that the bindings were too tight on her hands, and her hands were going numb. (laughs) Now, whoa, Whoa. what's this little kid doing in my car? Right, right, dude. You didn't know. He said she kept telling him that she wanted to go home. And he said he drove around for a while, not sure what to do, when he got lost driving up Pythian Road and getting stuck on Dana's property. He said he untied Polly and put her on the embankment, where she stayed while he tried to get his car unstuck. And the deputies arrived then. She's on the embankment and alive, and they didn't see her. Oh, my goodness. And they didn't know to look for her. Was she alive? That's what, that's what he says. However, I don't know. Yeah. I think, personally, just based on the stuff that I did find out in the story, she probably was. Hmm. And that she was probably there. There's some one said that he once told someone else that he had put her in the woods on the embankment so yeah. that she couldn't be seen. Yeah. But just so close. Left her tied up there so that she couldn't run away. Yeah. So him saying I'm he had tied her and put her on the embankment. Mm, her I'm being thinking, able to scream and yell and this or that. That's why I'm wondering. Right. Was she gagged? Probably. You know. Probably tied and gagged and all mm-hmm. that. If she was even. Not knocked out. You know what I mean? If she was even conscious, that's what it not not knocked out. But you know, yeah. if she was even conscious. Right. I'm thinking that I I don't know. Like it's and I don't know that we'll ever really know. Because he's gonna tell you no. what and he's an he's an arrogant asshole. So it's horrible about just <gasps> not ever getting the full clear. Picture no, and and stuff. these people don't like they wanna tell you enough, but not everything. They yeah. keep stuff to themselves. Because they're sadistic. They'll take it to the grave. Yes. Oh, God. Anyway. So, Richard claimed that he waited 30 minutes after the police had escorted him off Pythian Road before he went back and got Polly. So, remember when they left Pythian Road and saw him parked there? I really wish they had made him leave. Yeah. You know, because then maybe Polly would have been able to somehow, whatever the situation was, get free and go get help. Yeah. But... No. So he said he drove to a gas station where Polly could use the restroom. And at this point, I'm about to describe how Richard claims he killed Polly. So if you guys don't want to hear that, skip ahead, maybe 20, 30 seconds. After leaving the gas station, he said he realized he had to kill her to avoid going back to prison. So he strangled her with a piece of knotted cloth. He then put a cord tightly around her neck, quote, to make sure, end quote. And then he dragged her body to some bushes and covered her with a piece of plywood and some wood he found in the area. He said he didn't think, this is the part that gives me, he didn't think he had sex with her or that he even tried to have sex with her, but he wasn't clear. And let me just say that you can't have sex with a 12-year-old. You can rape a 12-year-old, but you can't have sex with one. Yeah. I'm sorry. That They don't, they're not old enough to give consent for that. So mm-hmm. I hate that he's like, I didn't have sex with her. You're an asshole. You can't have sex with a 12-year-old. Anyway, so later that evening, Meese, Griffith, and Taylor, along with several other officers, made Richard take them along the route he traveled after leaving Polly's home. When they arrived at Dutcher Creek Road, Richard pointed to the location of Polly's body 100 feet from Highway 101, just south of Cloverdale. 
Now I'm going to describe the condition of Polly's body. So again, if you don't want to know, skip ahead. So they found Polly located under a piece of plywood like Richard had described. She lay under a piece of plywood and wood pieces in a thorny briar patch, thick underbrush, and debris. Her skeletonized skull lay a few feet from the rest of her body, probably due to animal activity. Much of her body was skeletonized, including her abdominal section with her organs and soft tissues missing, but her limbs seemed to be in a mummified state. Polly's remains were partially covered by the nightgown Jillian had brought with her to the slumber party. And according to an FBI agent who observed the body, the nightgown was pulled up and inverted under her arms, which were folded across her lap. Her pink blouse was untied and her white miniskirt had been pulled up to her chest, but she was still wearing her bra and panties. Her legs were spread outwards, bent at the knees and hips, which suggested that the body hadn't been laid quickly in the brush or that rigor mortis had previously set the legs in that position. It was like that's where he had attacked her. Yeah. So strands of her hair were located separately from her body and and her skull and was tangled in some rope and knotted cloth that the examining pathologist said could have been used to strangle her, but the cause of death wasn't able to be determined because of the condition of the body. So during the autopsy, FBI team members identified what could be semen stains on her panties, but further forensic testing didn't detect semen. And that doesn't mean that she wasn't molested. It means that they couldn't tell. Like, it was too degraded. So... It, it could either mean mm-hmm. that there was no semen, or it means that that it had, you know it had been two months and it had yeah. they weren't able to test that anymore. Right. And I mean, this guy is just so fucking. Well, sick. we're backward too. He said he put her. You know, it makes me kind of believe what he was saying that she was you know over the on the embankment side or whatever because he mm-hmm. he he realized okay I'm in this ditch I'm gonna have trouble getting out somebody's gonna see me at some point and then I need to put her somewhere. Well, I think part of his attack, though, happened there because they found all that all that evidence well, I'm wondering, and a clearing. Do you think he went into the ditch because she forced him into the ditch? I like would she love, was fighting? I would love to say that. Like, yeah. honestly, I would be so proud I mean, of her. He, yeah, I mean, he was out of it, drunk, high, whatever, mm-hmm. too, but still. Yeah, you I never mean, know. I mean, I, would, I love that theory. I really do. Like, good on you if you were fighting a little girl. Like, I yeah. wish that, you know, you would fought harder or whatever, but I don't know. I wish I could say. So after returning from Dutcher Creek, Richard described how he killed her again, saying that he had eased up, but thought he, you know, like when he was strangling her, he had eased up a little bit, but thought he heard her groan. So he tied a knot in the cloth, tightening it really tight, and then tied the cord around her neck too, and waited for her to stop moving. And he described it as taking, quote, forever. Mm. Like, what else do you have going on buddy like oh my gosh no one wants to know and as a parent i don't want to know that it took forever for her to die yeah no that's horrible but he's not thinking about that no i oh my god that's where i go maybe it's because i'm not a sick psychotic (laughs) person but oh my gosh this hurts my heart so bad so on December 6, 1993, Meese and Taylor confront Richard with, with the sexual assault, letting him know that they found semen, and he looked, he asked where they found, where they found the semen. So, they told him on Polly, and he said, but not in her. Like, there's a whole dialogue here yeah. that's just so upsetting, I didn't really put it 
into, into this. this podcast because it's so in detail. But basically, this guy is saying, well, you know, it could be on her, but as long as it's not in her, I didn't do anything. Like, yeah. you can't, but uh, he denied sexually assaulting her and said he would wait for forensics on that because he didn't want to be pegged as a child molester in prison. Mm. Not because he's, well, he's remorseful. Already a snitch, so he right, doesn't need but, that too. But not because he's remorseful, not because he would never do that to a child or any of that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. But because he doesn't want to be pegged as a child molester well, in prison. That's your motivation. It's all about him. He doesn't think about anybody else. Yeah, he was afraid of what the other pr- prisoners would do to it's him all about instead what, of worrying yeah, about... It's all about him. It's all about his own self-satisfactions. Uh, she, you know? Yeah, you're yeah, you're absolutely right. That is so freaking sick. It just, oh, God. Ugh. Anyway, I can't go there right now. So, the other evidence they had against him in this case included white cloth found in Polly's room. And it was matched to the cloth found on Pythian Road where Richard had gotten his car stuck. And there were some remnants of it inside his car. So the theory was that he had cut the fabric in his car. And then they thought that because there were fibers found on like the center console and in the passenger side of the seat. And it was used to, it was used, the fabric was used to tie her up and to use as a gag or whatever. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's where he glittered. You know? Yeah. On the, on the embankment piece that you had talked about earlier. Oh yeah, that's, that's a good point. So... Fibers matching the carpet fibers in Richard's car were also found in Polly's bedroom. So that just, he transferred that into her bedroom. And fibers found on Richard's sweatshirt were, were found off of, um, Pythian Road. Uh, were also found on the nightgown found okay. on Polly's body in Cloverdale. Yeah. So they were able to, they definitely were able to connect him to this. There were also fibers from the carpet of Richard's car found in Polly's hair, which indicated that Polly's head was in the floor of the car at some point. So they wonder, like, I wonder if they, if he had knocked her out. Yeah. Thrown her in the backseat of the car or whatever, mm-hmm. and her head was on the floor. But I don't know. But one of Polly's hairs was found in the knot in the red tights found off Pythian Road, and it, peer, it appeared to have been forcefully, forcefully removed from her head. So it's like he... He had tied that knot into the tights over her head and then ripped it off, yeah. and some of her hair was in it. Mm. And on the other side of that, two hairs were found in Polly's bedroom, matched Richard's DNA profile, and it appeared that those had been forcefully removed from his head. So almost like, like he said, maybe she was fighting, yeah. because he, someone ripped his hair out wanna, in that bedroom. I, yeah, I feel like that's what's going on. I hope so. God, I hope so. I didn't even think of it in that way. Oh, I hope so. I really hope that she tore him up. <laughs> so, there were no fingerprints or DNA on the condom or condom wrapper, though, that was found at Pythium Road. So they couldn't, they didn't, that didn't do very much for them. They were just able to say that he bought the condom like that. Okay. Same day. So the trial began two years later, though. All of this, it took two years to build a case against him some, for some reason. Hey, real quick. Don't you hate that? Like, okay, the guy's got a crazy rap sheet. He's done this, done that. You can see that they're finding all this evidence and stuff. But then yet, they have this condom, but they can't really tie it to him. But we know he bought one that day. And, yes. and you're just like, yeah, okay, we, so yeah, how it's like, okay, we know this is yours. Right. But we can't say it's yours because we're because not for sure. Yeah, there's but nothing. we know all these other things. We found a palm print. Mm-hmm. We found fibers of this and that hair. Um, we know your rap sheet. 
Yeah. We saw you in the area. Police were there. Yeah, but condoms are a dime a dozen, babe. You I can't know. say that. That's... I just, you know. <laughs> I know. I get what you're saying. And not that they needed that, you know, for everything else. No, because but, look at everything they yeah. did have. But I'm just. just that was even just, better than a condom wrapper, yeah, you know. It's just crazy. Yeah, I know. So, it took them two years to build this case, though. And the trial began on April 17th, 1996. The trial had to be held in Santa Clara County due to difficulty in selecting a jury, so it couldn't be held in Sonoma County. One of the public defenders, Barry Collins, admitted that Richard had kidnapped and murdered Polly, but that he hadn't sexually assaulted her. So Collins hoped to reduce the chance of Richard getting the death penalty. And under California law, capital murder must be accompanied by special circumstances, such as sexual assault and kidnapping. Like, I don't get that. Whether there's special... On that part, I, yeah. I this is where I disagree. Well, there's definitely kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, why does there have to be anything tied to it? You yeah. killed somebody yeah. with intent, like, maliciously. Mm. Why do you have to have a special circumstance to make you get the death penalty for that? I don't right. understand that. Yeah. And yeah. the special circumstance that you went to somebody's house that you've never been in before, you don't know these people. But that doesn't matter. Apparently. That's like some circumstances, like... It's one thing if we know somebody here, a relative, a friend that comes in here and there, mm-hmm. something bad happened, we got in a fight, and I got killed. Right. Good or bad, it could have been an accident, it could have been for, like, just malicious. Right. But this is, you know, definitely some intent behind it as far as, you don't know these people, you you walked into this house. Yeah. You abducted this girl, kidnapped her. Kidnapped her, yeah. There's, probably raped her. Probably Most raped her. There's some special her. circumstances here. But, you know, they, they didn't even get to... What's your list of Well, they didn't even get to charge him with sexual assault, by the way, because they couldn't they couldn't prove it. Mm-hmm. So they had to... I can't remember what they charged him with, something about lewd acts with the minor. Yeah. Or yeah. something like that. And I'm like... Right. Just, We're going to pile on everything that we can, at least. Yeah. I just wish... I mean, because I, I am so damn sure that this perverted jerk wide... Yeah molested that poor 12-year-old oh, for sure. little girl. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I just... So, the defense tried to make it sound like what happened on the night of October 1st, and this I know this is the defense's job. They're supposed to defend their, their client, and yeah. it's a public defender, so it's not like they have choices or anything like that, but I, I hate that they actually went to bat for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, don't do your job. <laughs> yeah. Well, you but, wish, you know, like, it's like, you understand public defender's job, and you wish they would just go with the ones that were like, well, it could really not be this person. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that have oh, been yeah. wrongly convicted. But this guy is there's a whole no other doubt. story. Yes, this because guy, I mean, all they the evidence went... that they did have for this case, but then right. all his past along with it. But he even, they even went in and they like, yeah, he did kidnap her, and yeah, he did murder her, but he didn't sexually assault her. Yeah. Like, yeah. shut up. Are you kidding? Anyway. So and His job is to try to get the, the lightest yes, sentence, the I know, more that's lenient what I'm piece. Saying. Even I, though he shouldn't, he should be like, hammer this guy. I know. That's uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I wish they didn't do their job. I wish yeah. they didn't, because it's just so frustrating. But... They tried to make it sound like what happened on the night of October 1st was a burglary gone wrong. Yeah. He took tights. He didn't steal anything else from that home. It wasn't a burglary. But they also tried to make it sound like he hadn't been in the area as frequently as the prosecution's witnesses made it seem. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah. You really... Ugh. 
So the prosecutor stressed the premeditated nature of the crimes, though, including Richard's intent to commit sexual assault. He called witnesses who testified to seeing Richard in the neighborhood days before the abduction and used that to show Richard was stalking Polly. So they had witnesses showing that he was there. Well, people you know had witnessed seeing this guy. Yeah, yeah, several. Yeah. You know, on the night of, too. Especially the night of. Yeah. Several people several. saw him the night of. Mm-hmm. But he also noted how badly decomposed the body was, and so any DNA evidence was ruined due to the state of decomposition, and this was why they couldn't charge him with the sexual assault. Yeah. There okay. just wasn't anything there to use. So on June 18th, 1996, Richard Allen Davis was found guilty on 10 felony counts, including the charge of attempted lewd acts. So they did go ahead and say, well, we believe that you did have an intent to do this. Mm-hmm. So once the jury had announced the guilty verdict, Richard turned to the cameras and flipped them off with both hands and then winked his eye and blew a kiss. Oh, man. I know. He's a piece of work. This guy. It's like when Sam Little raised his fist. Yeah. On his way being wheeled out of the courtroom. You know, right. like these these guys just, there's not a decent piece of them at all in their bodies. Like they don't know what that is. So two months later, the jury recommended the death penalty and the judge accepted this recommendation. And at sentencing, Richard once again showed that he had no remorse for his actions. He denied that he attempted any lewd acts with Polly, but said that, and get this, this is the, oh gosh. So he said that Polly had told him that her father had sexually abused her. And this enraged Mark Class, who lunged at Richard in the courtroom. And deputies had to keep Richard safe from, from or yeah. yeah. He, they had to protect Richard from Mark. Basically. Oh yeah. And you know, personally, I would have let him attack. Oh yeah. I would have just been just like, let him get oh, a few shots in. Yeah, something. Like you don't have to let him you kill him. You have to. But you have to act like you grabbed him, slow. and then you grab him, yeah. and then he got got away. Oh, oh no! Oh yeah, yeah. Be slow about yeah. your response. Like, oh crap, is this really happening in this court right now? Get over there, you know. Like, yeah. take your great. time. That would have been great. But yeah, it, so the judge went on to say that uh, usually imposing the death penalty on someone was very hard, but Richard's actions made it very easy for her. Yeah, and oh, I'm I'm glad yeah. she said that. Like, and I'm glad it was easy for her because right. I think it would have been easy for me too. So, Polly's dad Mark and her mom Eve started the Polly Class Foundation, and now they help to keep kids safe and started using the internet to get the word out about missing and exploited children. The Polly Class case was the first case to ha- ever have missing posters created digitally and distributed around the world, which helped bring the national attention. So they had two guys in Petaluma, California, who basically heard that Polly was missing and knew that they were printing off missing posters or Mm -hmm. whatever. And they were like, we can digitalize this and get it out faster. Oh, cool. So they took it and they scanned them in and like, bam, it's everywhere. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. So that started that whole thing. That's why missing, like... All, all kinds of missing posters and stuff like that are now out on the internet. Yeah. Everything's on TV. It's, right. it's everywhere now. Kind of like what you were saying, you know, with social media and stuff. Yeah. This started all that. Yeah, that's a good thing about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So it modernized how we distributed missing persons flyers, and it modernized how quickly we could get the word out and how far it would go. Now the whole world would know when someone, when something horrible happened to someone, and now it would be harder for criminals to hide. And this case also led... To California's three strikes law. Oh, okay. Yep. 
So, you know, repeat offender yeah, like Mr. Like, Richard Allen Davis. Right. That they're not given that chance to do what he did. Yeah. So the polyclass incident gained popular support for lengthening sentences for repeat offenders. The three strikes law passed in 1994, which requires that criminals receive 25 years to life sentences for third felony convictions and leading to about 30 other states passing similar laws, which is a good thing. Yeah. So something good did come from it, but it, it's truly a tragedy. And she, Polly, shouldn't have ever been a victim because Richard Allen Davis should have never been out on parole. He was a, a lifetime offender whose crimes progressed, and he was, in my opinion, not showing any signs of even trying to be reformed. The few treatment programs it was noted that he tried to do, he left after one day if he showed up at all. And everyone knows that the first step to recovery is admitting you need it, and then taking the actions to fix yourself. He was a horrible human being, and I hope he's miserable. And I hope that his fears come true, you know, came true, and that he had the stigma of being a child molester in prison, yeah. so that someone made him his bitch a few times a day. Like, I hate to be that way, but that's how I feel. Is he still alive in prison that you know? As far as I know, I mean, we could look that up. I didn't really... Yeah, I was just curious. I, I, he's on the death He's on death row. But some states are real slow about it. Like yeah. my state, you know, we put in a drive-thru, right? No, it's express lane. Uh, express lane. <laughs> drive-thru. <laughs> express lane. Yeah, go ahead and drive State. up yet. <laughs> no, yes. Texas. Yeah. TXs. No, it, I mean... This was a horrible story. I hate it, but good things did come from it. All right. Well, with that, thanks for listening. As always, the links for this case on our website, you'll find it at wickednesstruecrimeintheunknown.com. And you can also message us on our website and leave voicemails for us on anchor.fm slash wickedness. And you can support us if you feel like it at anchor.fm slash wickedness and click on support. Check us out on Instagram at Wickedness True Crime, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.